That's one way to get started. Telling you what. Just pull out your Bible. I don't even know what to do. Pull out your Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. <laughs> what I said when we were opening up with prayer is very much true that a lot of times when we open our Bible and we read it, we keep looking for what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Um, when sometimes the application is just something that you need to know. Or maybe something that you need to be reminded of. That I don't know that there are any of us who don't need to be reminded on a regular basis how worthy of worship and glory Jesus Christ is. Y'all, it's easy to forget in the same way it's easy to overlook other things that you've become so sadly familiar with. And when I say sadly familiar, I mean things that you should never get over. One of my, one of my mentors in ministry uh, is named James. And when he introduces, I can't remember the year that he tells me, but I can tell you I, re, I remember the rest of what he says. So I'm just going to guess. I'm going to say he said I was saved in, you know, 19, you know, 60, 1950, something, you know, he said, I was, I was saved in 1965 and I never got over it. Have you gotten over it? And before you answer so quickly, a bunch of y'all in here done got married, right? Y'all got over your spouse? I don't ask that as a joke. I mean, like when you're dating them, when you're engaged, oh my goodness. I can't wait till I'm married to them. <laughs> I get to live with them. They get to always be there. And I hope 30, 40 years later, you're not, oh Lord, I got to live with them. <laughs> they always there. <laughs> They're always going to be there when I wake up in the morning. Did you get over it? You know, that's not the way God designed it. God didn't design your spouse to be somebody you get tired of. That don't mean you don't ever get frustrated. I never get frustrated with my wife because she's perfect, but she gets frustrated with me all the time. Justifiably so. But there's a difference between occasionally getting frustrated with somebody and getting over them. Y'all, I'm afraid some of us done been exposed to Jesus and the gospel too long that we done got over it. That we get used to it. That we've heard it. We do this every time we open our Bible and look at a particular section of it and skim it because we say, oh, I know that part. I've heard that before. I've seen that before. Yeah, 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 I get it. God loves us. Jesus died on the cross. He's alive now. I get it. Yada, yada, yada. And we never say it that way, do we? We never say it like that. We never put it, yeah, yeah, I get it. Redemption, crucifixion, resurrection, redemption, blah, blah, blah. But do we ever treat it that way? This just, it's, it's okay, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to talk about it today. I, I got that figured out. 
I was sharing the gospel with somebody one time. <clears throat> they're, they're, they're lost. They openly admitted it. And I said, well, can I, can I share the gospel with you? Can I invite you to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, preacher, I was raised in church. I feel like I know just about everything there is to know about that. Okay. Y'all, we who know Jesus will worship Him into eternity future and will never know everything there is to know about that. This sermon that I'm about to preach this morning will have been a success if when you leave here, you are saying in your heart and in your mind and you have the words on your lips what just came away from that piano that worthy is the Lamb seated on His throne. The sermon will be a success if you leave with that mindset. So, if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, I want to read Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Now when He had taken the scroll, that's Jesus, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Father, I pray that You would help us to get just a glimpse of the glory that prompts the worship of heaven this morning. Help us to see it and feel it and love it and know it. Because in Christ, that is our destiny. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I don't want to do anything to talk about the glory of God. Pastor, what am I going to leave here? How how am I going to live different? I promise you, you get a bait of the glory of God, you'll live different. If you get a little bit of God's glory and you know what He's done and what He's worth and who He is, I promise you, you'll live differently. But I want to look at the glory of God through three different perspectives this morning and hope maybe that that changes the way that you see Him. And first, I want us to look at the most important thing, uh, the most important way to experience the glory of the Lamb, and that is by being redeemed. The redeemed actually experience the glory of the Lamb. And look at verses 8 through 10. Now, I need to recap this because if you're coming in out of the middle of nowhere and you look at this, you're going to say, what in the world is this little skinny white guy talking about? And that is... In verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures fell down, or the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense. Who is this he? This is Jesus. 
Jesus is the Lamb. As we see in verse 6, John sees, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, all-powerful, all-knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, that last week we saw that Jesus is the only worthy, qualified, able Redeemer. That's why He can take the title deed for the inheritance of the earth out of God's right hand. That that's Jesus. That what you're seeing in this scene, Jesus taking this scroll, is Him completing His inheritance. That He is now taking into His possession that which He has the right to redeem. Which is our destiny, our earth, the rightful destiny of the human race. That Jesus is going to ascend to the throne that God intended Adam and a human being will, as God designed in the very beginning of creation, a human being will rule the world. But that will be not just any human being, that will be the God-man. Fully God and fully man. And all those who are His people are also redeemed through what Jesus did on the cross. That that is what makes Him worthy to take this scroll. And that is the scene that we're in the middle of. That Jesus is completing His inheritance. The four living creatures, these are cherubim that perpetually attend the throne of God. So they're a high angelic order. That's what these four living creatures are. And the 24 elders, I'm not going to get into all that much because we're going to talk about them in a little bit more detail today. But suffice to say, your pastor will go ahead and tell you that these are representative of the redeemed of humanity of all ages. That each of these have a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I want you to look at what's going on here. You've got harps. What What are harps? What do they do? They're beautiful. They don't sound like that. But they're, they're beautiful. They're musical instruments. They're meant to provide music. Music is part of worship, is it not? It's part of worship. That everywhere in Scripture, I mean, the entire book of Psalms is a, it's the ancient hymn book. That that's what God's people have sung throughout the ages. That the songs are music. The Psalms are music. That they would be sung. That what happens at the Last Supper? Jesus and His disciples, they actually sing a hymn. That throughout history, music has been part of worship. And these elders have harps. Now, this next part is not something that you really see all that much in Baptist churches, but incense is part of worship too. And this goes all the way back to the temple in the Old Testament that God actually prescribed a very specific blend of fragrances and oils that went into His specific incense that was used in the temple. And it was actually so exclusive for the use of worship in God's temple that if anyone was found making it or offering it to any other god... It was the death penalty. Say, well, wait a minute. Josh, isn't that a little bit strong of a penalty for some popery? Y'all, this is not the little diffuser that has got orange-scented essential oil in it that you've got in your house, okay? 
This is incense that was specially formulated for the worship of God. And what does Revelation tell us that that incense is in these golden bowls? It's the prayer of the saints. That incense is is part of worship in the Jewish mind of the Old Testament. And they're singing this new song. What's going on in heaven? When Jesus takes this scroll, a worship service breaks out. When Jesus steps up to redeem His inheritance, a worship service breaks out. And the song that they sing is new. The song that they sing is new. So anytime somebody, you know, anytime somebody says, well, I just, uh, I, I just don't know that we need to... Ch-. Well, no, the Bible itself contains new songs. When God does something new, God gives you a new song. That all throughout Scripture, what what happened when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea? What's the first thing they did on the other side? They sang a song. Some of y'all probably remember the songs that you were singing when you came to Christ. Because they hold a, a special place in your heart. That when God does something new, usually a new song accompanies it. And it's no different in heaven. They sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You are worthy to be a redeemer. You are worthy to take it. You are worthy to claim it. But why? For you were slain. It is the crucifixion of Jesus that makes Him worthy. And you have what? Redeemed us to God by your blood. Now, how many of y'all, your Bible translation doesn't say has redeemed us? If it says anything different, raise your hand. Anything different other than us. I know some of y'all are going to raise your hand. If you want to know why, I'm going to explain that in a minute. We're going to get to it. I promise I'm not ignoring it. You're probably going to have some other differences from the text that I'm reading too. There's a good reason for all that. We'll get to it. It says, You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is pretty detailed, isn't it? Compared to the songs that you've seen sung before in the book of Revelation. Just look at, look at this back in verse 8 of chapter 4. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Where's redemption in that song? Do you see it? Where's the crucifixion? Where's the blood? It's not there. Does that mean it's not true? No. It's 100% true that God is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the God who was and is and is to come. That's always been true, hasn't it? Okay? Now look at the next one in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for what? You created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. Is that true? Yes. That is absolutely true. That God is worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power because He is the Creator. Because He is holy. Because He is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy of worship and glory just because of those things. But in chapter 5 verse 9, there's a new song because He's done something new. That now He's not just worshipped because He's the Creator. 
He's worshipped because He was slain and has redeemed us to God by His blood out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you know that the redeemed are the only people who can sing that song? They're the only ones that can sing that song. There's some beautiful renditions of Amazing Grace out there, aren't there? Man, there's anybody in the world who's ever, who, who's ever recorded that song, man, it's almost like you're stepping on holy ground when you sing it because so many people know it. And if you blow it, everybody knows you blew it. But Amazing Grace is so well known that if you're going to cover a song, man, you can cover it and you know that everybody's going to hold it. But do you know that only people who have experienced that Amazing Grace get it? That only the redeemed can sing this song. And in verse 10, And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. The redeemed experience the glory of God like no one else does, like no one else can. Listen to Luke chapter 7, verses 40 through 43, and then verse 47. Jesus answered this Pharisee and says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Verse 47, therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Jesus is not saying that she loved and therefore her sins are forgiven. He's saying you can tell she knows her sins are forgiven because look at how much she loves. Why don't I just have that fire in my soul when I go to worship? Why don't I have any get up and go to serve? Why why is church boring to me? Because you've forgotten the amazingness of the glory and grace of God. You want to know what will pump you up for worship in the morning? Take a look in the mirror before you come to church. I don't mean your physical mirror. I mean, take a look in the spiritual mirror real quick. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. You ever heard somebody say, Man, I ain't going to go in that church because that, that roof will fall in as soon as I walk in there. You ever heard somebody say something like that? A lot of times it's an excuse. That people give you that because they don't want to come to church. But for some people, they believe it to be true. They really are afraid to come to God because they know themselves. They know what they've done. They know where they've been. They know what they've said. And so they're afraid to come to God because they know how much sin they're carrying when the reality is, if you come to Jesus, you will find grace You will find love. You will find forgiveness. And do you know what happens whenever you come to Jesus and you find out that that's true? You worship. 
That'll crack a hard heart wide open. The redeemed can sing this song because the redeemed get it. The redeemed know that y'all, this is a room full of people who are tore up from the floor up. That we are not good folks. We're not good people. We're people made in the image of God who failed massively. And the only thing bigger than our failure is the grace of our God. And so when you see the Lamb taking the scroll and you hear the elders saying you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us. You have taken us out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like Ruth, you took me out of Moab and you made me one of your own. You took me out of sin and you brought me into righteousness. You took me out of the dominion of darkness and moved me into the kingdom of the Son of your love. You took me from where I was and put me where you are. That you have made me someone I was not and without you am still not. That that is worthy of worship. And if that bores you, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Because there's nothing greater in the entire cosmos. And it's not something that you can just work yourself into. You ever seen the movie with the with the boxers where they're getting ready to go out and they're getting ready to fight and they're in the locker room and they got their head down and they're kind of bouncing like this and they didn't even put their gloves on yet and they start smacking themselves in the face to try and wake them up. Have you ever have you ever had to effectively kind of do that before you get ready to go to church? All right. Okay, I gotta make people believe I love Jesus this morning. I got to work real hard. I had no breakfast. I could only find one shoe. My socks are mismatched. The kids don't want to get their stuff together. I don't know where the keys to the car are. I done lost my wallet again. I guess I'm going to have to drive without it. Where's my Bible? Is it still in the car? Or is that my, where's my Sunday school book? Where, and then you get there and what's the first thing we do? Hey, brother. Are you having a blessed day? Because I am. And inside you're thinking... And you expect me to worship? Y'all listen, what Jesus has done is bigger than all that. It's way bigger than all that. You can't work yourself into it. What is it that brings a Christian to worship? 1 John 3.16. Funny how that works, isn't it? 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What draws you into worship, redeemed folks, is the fact that you remember Jesus shed His blood for you. That doesn't change. Your mood might change. Your circumstances might change. How easy it is to get out of the house might change. But do you know what doesn't change? The fact that God loved you enough to die for you. In Stapleton, I want to beg you as your pastor, never get over that. Because the day you get over that is the day you become an ineffectual, tepid Christian who does more damage to the kingdom than you do benefit. What do you mean I do damage to the kingdom? You ever go out to eat with somebody and there's something on the menu you had never tried? 
and you're thinking about trying it, but you just you don't have the guts to be that first one to take the plunge. But maybe somebody else you're out with, they'll say, you know what, I'll get it. And what do you do? You order something you're used to, but as soon as that food comes out and they take that first bite, what are you doing? How is it? And you look for their response. And if they go, it's okay. It's delicious. I've probably never had anything better. They just flat tone, don't do anything with it. They just kind of munch on it and talk. How motivated are you to try that? You're probably not. But if they just exclaim, oh my goodness, this is delicious. I've never had anything like this in my life. You're probably going to get it the next time. Why? Because they're excited about how good it is. Y'all, Jesus has challenged you, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, if your testimony for Jesus Christ is, yeah, church is all right. I mean, we go most of the time. It's decent. Y'all, you're not going to motivate anybody to want, come, want to come see whether or not the Lord is good because you right there have told them by the way you look at it, uh, that's not that big of a deal. But if they say, tell me about this, this, this church thing you got going on. And you just explode in gushing about the goodness and grace of God. Man, that'll perk up some ears. So redeemed, you got a privilege that you are the only ones who get this song. You're the only ones who get it. You can't get it otherwise. And if you, by the way, I'm gonna say this note in passing. If you think that you're a Christian and you've never been struck and stunned in awe of the grace and glory and goodness of God toward you in your sin, if you've never been shocked and knocked off your block by that, I doubt you're saved. Well, I just grew up in the church and I got dumped when I was eight because that's what we did or my friends were down there and I, I talked to the pastor and we put my name on a card and I told him I was going to be a good little boy or a good little girl and I've come to church a few times a month ever since then and yeah, we good, we just good Christian folks in my house. Well, tell me about the grace of God. Oh, God's gracious. Is God good? All the time. But is God good to you? Oh, yeah, God, God's been good to me. Has it ever shocked you? Has it ever stunned you? Has it ever knocked you for a loop that God could even love you? If you've never had that moment, I doubt you're saved. Because you get the glory of it in that moment where God comes to you and says, yes, I, I even love you. I already know about all that. I died for it. Now come join me in my inheritance. That'll draw you to worship. So redeemed, I want you to know the love and redemption of God and glorify God in that. And second, the angels exult in the glory of the Lamb. Now, you remember I asked y'all a question. I said, how many of y'all in verse 9 have something other than have redeemed us to God by your blood? 
This is the New American Standard. This is a slight difference from what I was reading in the New King James. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Does some of y'all have something more similar to that? Okay, that's because there is a textual difficulty with the original manuscripts of Scripture in this particular part. And normally, if it's something small, I kind of move past it because I don't like to get into minor linguistics. But when it's something big, I've got to stop because I'm I'm a slave to the Bible. Okay, so I've got to stop and talk about this. What's the difference between us and you have redeemed for yourself men? Well, the question has to do with Who's talking here? Are these elders, are they angels or are they redeemed people? Well, I'm going to read to you what the New American uh, Commentary has to say here. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what I think is going on. And then we're going to talk about something that we don't normally talk about from behind the pulpit, but everybody seems to be interested in, which is angels. New American Commentary says, The 24 elders who are involved in the singing of this new song are not alone. Note carefully verse 8. The song is apparently sung by the 24 elders joined in harmony of heaven by the four living creatures. The four living creatures, if properly identified as, as seraphim or cherubim, are not able to speak about being a kingdom of priests and reigning on the earth. You guys know that when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't die to forgive angels. He died to forgive people. Do you know that if Satan himself repented and says, Jesus, I'm sorry. Do you know the cross didn't apply to Satan? Jesus didn't die as an angel. He died as a what? He died as a man. Which means He came to redeem people. Angels don't know redemption. They're not possible. It's not possible for them to speak about being a kingdom of priests and reigning on the earth. It's possible then that in the text is actually found an antiphonal song in which the elders sing, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And then the four living creatures answer, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Mark, what was it you told me we were talking this week? That folks do something called lining out songs. Where one person will sing, and then the other group sings it back. Do you know in, in the ancient synagogues, and then sometimes in synagogues today, what they would do is you would have antiphonal songs where the men would sing one, one verse, one section, and then the ladies sitting on the other side, because they didn't sit together, the ladies singing on the other side would sing the next verse back to them. If you've ever read the song, you, you will recall this this read the Psalms, you will recall this verse, um, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. Man, you find that Psalm in every other verse is give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. Why is that? Because one side singing one thing, and then the next side singing, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. And He's done this and this and this and this and this. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. That the commentator is actually positing that might be what's going on in heaven. 
Because the majority of the manuscript evidence says you've redeemed us to God. When ancient preachers in the church thousands of years ago commentated on this passage, they talked about it as though it included the word us. So the majority of manuscripts do contain the word us. Or at least the most proliferated manuscripts contain the word us. But then you have a problem because down in verse 10, it does actually use the words them and they. So you've got the redeemed singing, you've redeemed us with your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then you've got the angels singing and you have made them kings and priests to our God and and they shall reign on the earth. That the angels are from the outside looking in and singing about this. In verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands doesn't mean that you need to get out your book of Revelation calculator and try and figure out how many angels are in heaven. This is John's way of saying that the angelic chorus was so large it's impossible to count it. So it's innumerable. Prior to this, like the elders, they had been centered on creation. But now they have seen something that surpasses the glory even of the creation. And do you know what? They ought to know, hadn't they? Because it certainly seems when you read Scripture, the angels are not eternal. They're created beings. Okay? They are. But Scripture seems to insinuate that the creation of angels predated the creation of this physical world. How do I know that? Job 38, 4-7. When God confronts Job, and He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And this is a passage intended to show His glory to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, that would be the angels, shouted for joy. That the angels were present when God created this physical world and they were so blown away by it that ever since the creation they've been singing about it. And you see a glimpse of that in Revelation when you catch the tail end of it. But all of a sudden now, the angel's song has changed. It's changed. And what does their song begin with? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. When you think about it, Why are the angels not singing about the crossing of the Red Sea? What's more impressive, making it or splitting it? If you made it, of course you can split it. What's more miraculous, healing a human being or designing all of humanity? Obviously designing all of humanity. That's why they're not singing about healings. But do you know what the only thing more amazing than a creation is? A recreation. Taking something that looked 
broken beyond repair and making it something that was even greater than it was before. That the angels are blown away by this. Finally, at last, there is something greater than the creation for which to worship God. 1 Peter 1.12, Peter's talking about the prophets, and he says, To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. Okay, so we're talking about the gospel. Preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Y'all, how many of y'all have ever wondered what angels are like? I know you have. Humanity has for thousands of years wondered what angels are like. That's why we paint pictures of fat little babies with with arrows and wings and hearts. Because we we try and picture, of course, the Bible. I've never seen a fat baby angel in the Bible, by the way. They're not there. But we try and comprehend, man, what is it like to have six wings and fly and cover your face in front of God? And what is it like to have to be one who could slay 10,000 men at the command of God? And what, what did Mary see when Gabriel came to her? And what does, Daniel, what, what does Scripture say when it says that great prince Michael will stand up? You know, what is the difference between an archangel and a regular angel? What's a cherubim? What's a seraphim? Here's the mind-blowing part. That we're sitting down here wondering what it's like to be an angel, angel, and the angels are sitting up in heaven saying, I wonder what it's like to be redeemed. What, What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean? Wait, Jesus, you mean to tell me that these little things, that are these little mud sculptures you breathed into, are going to judge us one day? And Jesus says, yes. I made them in my image and they're going to be more like me than you can even see right now. That the angels are blown away by what? The gospel. So lest I repeat myself, have you gotten over this? Say, oh, if we just had a dose of the supernatural, if we just, uh, if I could see an angel or if I could know what angels are like, what's it like? The angels are more concerned with what it's like to be you. The angels are wondering, how does this work? Have you ever, as, a, as an individual Christian, or maybe us as a small church, have you, ever been, have you ever fallen into the trap of wondering, what do I have to offer the world? Stapleton, have you ever thought, man, if we just had more people, think of all the things we could do. Have you ever thought that? Individual Christians, have you ever thought, man, if, if I just had more money or more time, think of what I could do. I don't know what I have to offer the world. I just, I don't have all that much. We're just simple people. Do you know what you do have? You have something that is so mind-blowing that angels haven't been able to figure it out. You've got a gospel so great that the entire innumerable throng of angels in heaven totally changed their worship overnight because of something that you possess. 
The greatness of the blood of Christ shed for you and your redemption is such that heaven has not recovered. The angel's total outlook on life changed the day Jesus took that scroll. The day that that stone rolled away and Jesus came walking out, the angels are still trying to process it. What you have to offer is something so mind-blowing that the hosts of heaven themselves are beside themselves. And that ought to lead you to sing something like, like the, I mean, did you, did you hear the song a few minutes ago? The line that said, the glory of heaven crucified? You know, something that's so interesting to me, and it's, it's not very often that I reference Islamic doctrine from behind this pulpit, but I'm going to do it. We disagree with it, but there's an interesting little tidbit that has always seemed somewhat interesting to me. That Muslims deny the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you know why they deny the crucifixion of Jesus? Because they said, well, Jesus, they they agree that Jesus was at least a messenger from God. They don't agree that he was God. But they'll tell you, no, Jesus wasn't crucified because there's no way, logically, that God would allow someone he sent to suffer like that. That doesn't make sense. And do you know what? On that point that it doesn't make sense, they're right. But praise God, it happened. It happened. Y'all, I got a little 25-pound sack of taters down there in that nursery that I will fight any one of y'all over if y'all try and lay a hand on her. I don't know how long I'll last because I'm, I'm skinny and ropey, but I'll try. Because I value my child. I love my child. I would lay down my life for my child before she did that for me. And yet, in love for rebels, us... God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. And there's an empty tomb to prove my Savior lives. That God did something that made no sense. Angels exult in the glory of the Lamb. And then finally, the whole of creation acknowledges the glory of the Lamb. In verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and, 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 as, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. That I don't completely understand everything that's going on here because John seems to go out of his way to say that this includes the entirety of creation. That there's not a living creature made that does not join in this worship. And yet, what do we see in the rest of the book of Revelation? 
there's an entire chunk of humanity that refuses to give God glory. Do you know that creation giving God glory is nothing new? Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor knowledge where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. That when you walk out and you look into creation, if you look with open eyes and an open mind and an open heart, you can see the glory of God out there. That creation has been praising God for forever. But the only creatures in all of creation that refuse to give God the glory that He is due is humans. We've done it since the very beginning. So, am I to believe that in this particular moment, in this particular time, due to something that's happening in heaven, every human being simultaneously on earth gives glory to God? I don't think that's what John is saying here. I think by looking at this passage, John is showing you exactly what's wrong with humanity. Because the rest of this book, humanity's not praising God for the most part. But do you know what? One day they will. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, so it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of the Lamb, at the name of the one who is worthy because he was slain, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage casts an incredible light on the boldness of the rebellion and cosmic crime it is to deny God His glory. That's why this message has been so serious, y'all. Because the glory of God is not something that it is optional for us to recognize. The United States is a pluralistic society. What does that mean? That means that there are multiple religions represented in our country. Correct or incorrect? Correct. There are multiple religions. It is legal for there to coexist multiple religions in this country. Correct or incorrect? Baptists believe in something called freedom of conscience, which means because each of us are going to be responsible to God for what we did with what He revealed to us, no one should have the right to force someone else to believe a certain way. Correct or incorrect? Correct. But hear me loud and hear me clear. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right. Pastor, do you mean to tell me that God is just going to reject somebody just because they believe something different? Yes. Because it's not just a matter of believing something different. It's a matter of the fact that God created us with the express purpose of bearing His image and worshiping Him in His glory. And to refuse to do that is a denial of the reason for your existence and a crime against the God of the universe, even if it's not a crime against the United States of America. That all of creation in this passage is worshiping God except for those who are in rebellion. But Philippians tells us that there will come a day, whether or not you want to bow your knee now, 
whether or not you want to confess Jesus Christ now, there will come a day when you will. Romans 1, 20 and 21 says, Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Y'all, I want to encourage you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you have an opportunity to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ because if you do not bow your knee to Him today, you will bow it to Him later. And I want you to bow it today so that you can experience the wonder and the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the love of God. Because one day if you don't, now you will experience His glory but also His wrath. So see, two-thirds of my message was about all the good stuff. This one short last little third was a warning. There are way more good reasons to come to God than there are scary reasons to come to God. But both are there. So right now what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to respond.